1: I'm doing great. I am so excited about today. You are? So excited. What, what are we doing today? We are talking to Susan Holt. Uh, Hayworth. I'm very excited to talk, talking to her. She, I just finished reading her book, A Change Would Do You Good, and it was wonderful. So I'm anxious to get some of her insights on her book and just what she does.
0: I love it. So for our listeners, just so you know, Susan Hayworth is this lovely lady that we met through a friend of a friend. And some of you might remember listening to our podcast with Lisa Montrose. And she was actually the one who introduced us to Susan, and we are quite delighted to have her with us. So Susan holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and two master's degrees, one in counseling and the other in management, as well as post-master credentials in counseling. She has provided counseling, coaching, and training to individuals, families, and executives for over four decades. Four decades. That's a lot of experience. I love that. (laughs) In addition, she's published some articles in numerous trade journals. She's been featured in the Wall Street Journal and on national and international radio and television programs. She is a contributing writer to Stepmom Magazine, and she lives in Northern California with her family, and we can't wait to hear what she's got to tell us.
1: So, hey, Susan.
0: Hey, great to be with you guys. Yeah. We just look so forward to having this little chit-chat. I know that Kat and I really want to, like, just dab a little bit on some topics in your book, because there's just so much in there like lots of content. And I love that because Kat and I are both learners. But before we get started, like we want, we want to hear about you, like, tell us like, what's the history and you know, why the path of psychology for you? And, and then what led you to writing this book?
2: Thanks, Tanya. Um, My book is content rich, some would say a little too much content, but I tried to cover a lot of different areas. And your question about what led me down this path, I have always been interested in human behavior and maybe I'm always trying to fix myself and, and my family of origin. I don't know. But that has been my for decades. And the book was really informed by my clients. And I started private practice about six years ago. And I, my clients, who happen to be mostly women, not exclusively, but mostly, uh, would come to me with various issues that were uh, really limiting them. And I I started, you know, I would keep notes, I started blogging. And so I decided to write a book. And I have to tell you that the first draft or the first uh, detailed outline of my book, I trashed completely. Mm -hmm. And I tell you that because I want people to know that that can happen. And so I just started over and realized I was gonna go more with what my clients' issues were than what I thought I should write about. That's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. So I started in 2019 and finished in June of uh, 2021. I had an accountability partner, which helped me get through it. And I worked on it full-time during the the worst part of the pandemic. I put Mm -hmm. everything on hold. So um, it helped me a great deal to write the book.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I would bet.
2: Oh, it did. Yeah. It yeah. did. And so I'm hoping that when people read it, it things will resonate with them as well. And mm-hmm. I, I see it more as not every chapter is going to be appropriate for every person, but it is a toolkit that they can use when they need it and keep it on the shelf and pull it out mm-hmm. when it's needed. Yeah, that's awesome. I know that
0: uh, Kat really enjoyed early on in the book. You were talking about a little bit of the imposter syndrome.
1: Yes, that really immediately struck a note with me. I just got through teaching at a writing retreat in Indiana, and I started reading your book while I was there. And all creatives have this problem with feeling like they're an imposter. Like why does anyone want to hear what I have to say? I don't, I'm not good enough to write this. So it really hit me at a time when I was spending a lot of time writing and teaching some courses to help writers. So can you talk a little bit more about this some?
2: Yeah. It's uh thanks for for cat for saying that that it really struck a chord. Mm-hmm. I think it does struck, strike a chord for most of us, in particular women, but not exclusive to women at all. It Is that the irony of it? Is that it seems to be triggered, that little imposter within us triggered. Mm -hmm. When we're feeling or successful, when we've gotten a new job, when we started a new project like writing a book, mm-hmm. we've gotten a promotion, and then the imposter comes and rears its ugly head and says, No, you're not really as good as you think.
1: <laughs> exactly. They're,
2: and they're going to find out. <laughs> really
1: yeah, them. everyone's going to know. <laughs>
2: Yes, and it's especially true with, mm-hmm. as you said, creatives who mm-hmm. put it out there. You know, they put their book out there, they put their put their artwork for all to see. Yeah. So it's like, oh my God, now they're really gonna find out. Well, and
1: you know, and you can probably talk more to this, but I was reading a little bit. I'm sure, have you read the book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert? No. She she talks about imposter syndrome some too. It's a fabulous book, but so I got a little more interested in it when I was reading that. And so when I was doing a little research on it, they talk about how it disproportionately affects high achieving people. So would you find uh, do you find that to be true? Absolutely.
0: true. I agree because, and I think part of this also Kat and I as two yoga studio, you know, female entrepreneurs, like in the world of, wow, is my studio going to make it? Wow. There's another studio down the road. Wow. What, how am I going to compete with that? Wow. You know, like we spend a lot of our time and especially when we're trying to work our marketing and we're seeing other marketing come up, like it's just this constant like battle of wills, right. To continue to remind ourselves that each of us is unique, and there's room in the world for everyone. And everybody's got a story. Everybody's got great qualities. Everybody's got goodness to share. But
3: Mm
2: -hmm. you're so right. And what really gets us is when we start comparing ourselves to other people, which is the human condition, I realize. Mm -hmm. But Thing that we need to work on. I know I need to work on you know myself all the time. Is mm-hmm. I someone else and I feel like their their success means that I can't achieve success. Mm-hmm. They win, I I lose, and that's not true. Yeah, right. we have to get out of that
0: and or mentality. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't have to be that way.
2: It isn't, mm-hmm. There's room for everyone to be successful, and mm-hmm. so. But somehow that is programmed in our DNA to believe that we can't we can't be as successful as the next person. Yeah.
1: Well, Up on the top of page 50 in your book, I love because I this again resonated with me also so much how you said I recognize how imposterism has played out in my own life. I've sometimes joked that I'm educated beyond my intelligence. And I I, I thought that was so wonderful because, you know, after I finished, you know, an undergraduate degree, I felt like, oh, well, I can't compete if I don't have a master's degree. And then I had to have a graduate program in creative writing. So I was constantly leaping over these milestones. Do you find that most, especially women, do that? I know men men can, you know, have a bachelor's degree and move on and think they're the greatest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. But women just don't feel good enough.
2: And that is, as you know, it's a chapter, you know, that's the title of the chapter, feeling good enough. Mm-hmm. In that we do, we feel like we have to get more and more, more and ed- more credentials. I know this has true, been true for me, mm-hmm. um, more experience, more whatever, until we can really pursue our goals. And you can w- wait a lifetime for that to happen. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, I am trying to train myself and my clients to embrace, their imperfections to accept their imperfections and just feel good enough. Yeah
0: that's a that's a trick. So I think you know one of the parts of the book that I really enjoyed was your topic on magical thinking. I just think that this is fantastic. And you have a chapter all on the power of prayer and intention and, you know, lining up your life with your goals. And Kat and I have talked about this in topics. And, you know, we talk about this in yoga as having, you know, that mantra for your day, for your week, for your month, for your life, like really lining up and then trusting like, right, that the universe, God, your divine is going to line up with you because it's all... You know, just this big, really big picture, and it's a challenge for a lot of the people that I have coming to see me for energy work. Is they're really still stuck right here, and they're not—they're mm-hmm. not seeing one step in front of them because they're just so stuck, or they have so many ties holding them back from the past that they're not able to release. Or, you know, Kat and I have talked about letting go of the backpack. Like, just set the backpack down because mm-hmm. it's—it's it's holding you back. Like,
2: right? We have so many things that are. Holding us in that backpack, we have our our limiting beliefs, our limiting attitudes. Very often, when people come to see me, they're, uh, they they want to make a change, but they're stuck. In inertia, they can't figure out how to start, and and the the belief they have is they have to have it all figured out mm-hmm. before they start.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Instead of taking one step at a time, and then if that doesn't work, pivoting and going a slightly different way. But the fear of making mistakes, there's so much in there that holds people back. But mm-hmm. Susan, risk is scary. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's scary, and one of the things that I just had this woman contact me because she is wanting to make friends. She's wanting, and she's an adult, and she doesn't know how to make friends. And you don't. You take little steps, low risk steps to putting yourself out there. So people think, for example, for public speaking, they think, Oh my God, I have to just get in front of a group of five hundred people and, and talk. You no, know, that's not the way to start. So the ri- the big risks seem daunting, but if you take small calculated risks, you can get to where you want to go.
0: And in jest, you know, the risk is also therefore worth it on the other side, mm-hmm. but you have to step out there. You have to put yourself out there.
1: Yeah. Well, and what do you learn and gain and grow from by going through the risk, you know, that going and taking on those risks can change you and help you. Mm-hmm. It
2: does change you. Yeah, yeah, Completely.
0: So I know that you wanted to share with us an important piece from your book. And I think you said, you know, you kind of had titled it as daring to be truthful. And I kind of love this because Kat and I have been talking about truth and we've done a podcast on like your authentic truth, but we've never really kind of just broached the whole conversation about truth and your circumstances and how much are you actually lying. We've talked about lying to ourselves a lot because it seems like that's a very, like you said, that's human nature. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's preservation. Sometimes it's just in general protection from life and everything that's kind of dangerous and hurtful around you. But I think the way you present it in your book is fantastic. And I'd love to just hear what you have to say about daring to be truthful.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. To your point that some self-deception can can be useful. I mean, we're all, we all get into denial every now and then. Mm -hmm. And Denial helps you get over the, the initial shock of bad news or trauma, but then you, if you, if you stay there, that's a problem in denial. Mm-hmm. So initially it can be helpful but staying there is not. Yeah, I wanted to mention to kind of clarify the difference between truth and honesty. I mean it's a nuanced difference. But we use them interchangeably. We use those words interchangeably, but mm-hmm. <laughs> Is really the way we talk about our reality. And it's representing our reality honestly, using that word accurate. Mm-hmm. Honesty is representing our feelings and our opinions. So it's more subjective accurately. Mm-hmm. So I have an example I can give you because I know that's, that's a little heady, isn't it? And this is a relatable example. I think. Mm -hmm. Let's say I have to meet a colleague uh, for lunch. And I'm getting ready to go meet the colleague. And I look on my phone and I see an old dear friend's number pop up who's trying to call me. So I pick up the phone and I get all involved in that conversation. And then I realize, oh my gosh, I should have left 15 minutes ago to meet my colleague. So I run out and go meet my colleague. I'm 15 minutes late. And what do I say to the colleague? I say, oh my God, the traffic was terrible, right? I don't say,
3: mm-hmm. oh, I
2: got a phone call from a really good friend, and, you know, or I'll say, there was an emergency. It wasn't an emergency. So that's not being truthful. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we all do. Yeah. On the other end, picture that I am the person waiting for the colleague. I'm fuming. I'm checking my phone I'm checking I'm ready to leave and then in comes this uh, this person and the person says oh my god you wouldn't believe the traffic was awful and what do I say I say no problem fine don't worry mm-hmm. not an issue." when really honestly it is an issue so that's the difference between truthfulness and honesty and I want to say that sometimes there There's a a time and a place to be untruthful and time and a place to not be honest. Mm -hmm. So in the book, I think I use use several examples. But one was when somebody says to you, does this dress make me look fat? You know, the honest response could be, yeah, it does. But who, you know, the honesty has to be tempered. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Buddhism, right, we call it wise speech. So we have to filter this through, you know, is this the time? In the place to be honest? What is to gain from being honest? How will this honesty uh, land? So that's a situation where we may not want to be honest. And I have was there. Even truthfulness, there's a time and a place to not be truthful. And I again, in my book, I think I mentioned one situation is uh, the people who during the Holocaust hid the Jews and the Jewish sympathizers Mm -hmm. in their attics and in their basements. And so they weren't being truthful when the Gestapo came to their door and said, nobody's here. So to save someone's life, being untruthful is appropriate. But, you know, th- th- please go ahead, Kat.
1: Well, <laughs> I was, you also, um, you were talking about people lie. Do you feel like it has become harder and harder for people to tell the truth, um, even now with social media? And because people want to put on the happy, pretty face for the world. And so they lie.
2: I think that is absolutely true, Kat. And and the, the thing about lying is the more you lie, the more you lie.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
2: lying begets lying and in your brain you also it gets easier to lie the more lies you tell and i yeah that we most of our lies have to do with making wanting us to look good i mean mm-hmm. that's that's at the core we mm-hmm. want to look good and mm-hmm. so why
1: so does um, that fall under your habitual lying probably
2: it can mm-hmm. it can fall under that i think pathological liars mm-hmm. must- they might, it's a slippery slope. You know, they could start off with just lying a little bit and then mm-hmm. lying. they have to lie. The thing about lying is it's really hard when you really tell what I call a lie of commission. When you tell a lie about yourself, then you have to remember, you have to remember the backstory and your brain really does not like it. Mm-hmm. Um, it really gets, it's really stressful. And I also mm-hmm. talk about secrets.
1: I was going to ask you about that next. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I do know there's a lot of things that like, I may tell my husband something in private that I don't want other people to know, or maybe I tell Tanya something I don't want someone else to know. And so then that causes her to have to lie.
2: It does. Mm-hmm. It's, and, and our brains, our cortexes just can't handle that. It is It is really stressful to keep our own secrets, mm-hmm. hold other people's secrets. And the example I give, which I can remember as if it were yesterday,
3: mm-hmm.
2: it was probably 15 years ago, my friend, who I will call Sherry, was having a tummy tuck. Mm-hmm. Oh, now, this was 15 years ago. It wasn't that unusual for people to have cosmetic surgery. Right. She told me. And she said, I'm telling you this in confidence, I am having the tummy tuck and I'm going to go away for two or three weeks to recover, but I haven't told anyone else. So those two or three weeks, I had no fewer than a dozen people coming up to me and saying, where's Sherry? I haven't seen her. We usually see her on our walks. We usually see her here or there. And I had to make up a lie. I had to say, well, I'm not sure. I think she told me she was going to visit a friend and these Coast. I, I'm sure she she's okay. And my lies would get more and more elaborate as it uh-huh. went on. And then when she came back and she was thankfully well, and I was so relieved. Mm-hmm. I just, I just couldn't even tell you how stressed I was. Now mm-hmm. look back on that. My friend did not, I'm sure, did not think that she was putting me in a stressful situation. She could have lied. She could have lied and said to all of our friends, I'm going to visit my mother back east for three weeks. But in her mind, it was okay just for, I'm sure she didn't think I would have to lie, but to tell me and that would be enough. Mm -hmm. Secrets are just, they, they really are hard. And I've learned, except for, you know, in my counseling practice, I keep secrets. Mm-hmm. First, but I've learned when friends come to me and say, I, I need to tell you this in confidence. Sometimes I will say, I'm not sure I want to hold this for you.
1: Yeah, that's that's good. Because it does bring on a, a whole new level of stress and anxiety for you, the secret bearer.
2: Yes. You know, some researchers say that all of us hold about 12 a dozen or so secrets mm-hmm. at and most of them are inconsequential you know they're a little like I stole a stapler once uh-huh. is, and uh, you know it was probably years later that I started fessing up to it not that I'm proud about stealing uh-huh. the paper, but that was a secret I held
1: well I saw this quote and I did not copy who it was by and I kind of wanted to see what you thought about it truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues and i liked it because the, i started thinking about it if you can't be truly gra- grateful if you are not honest and truthful you can't because then you're not really grateful for what you have maybe because you don't believe it humble you can't really truly be kind So anyway, i just wondered what you thought about that truthfulness is the foundation of all human virtues
2: you know, I'm smiling. I you don't. Know, because Mother Teresa said humility is the mother of all virtues. Uh-huh. <laughs> humility, which is. I mean, I really get behind that. Mm -hmm. It's right up there. Truthfulness, it depends, which is my answer to most questions. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) what it depends on is people will say, it's really honesty, they'll say something that's hurtful and they'll they'll say, in the name of being honest, I'm going to tell you that I really dislike your haircut or, you know, that Mm -hmm. dress is way too tight on. Mm -hmm. Put on some weight. Whatever it is, and that is, they're using their uh, little streak of meanness, and they're it's couched as honesty or truthfulness, and that's not what it is.
0: It's interesting that you, even in your book that you have noted that people will almost predicate their dishonesty by starting their sentence by saying, "Well, honestly," you know, no. and it's like, okay, well. Are you actually being honest or are you actually predicating your dishonesty by trying to state that you're being honest like mm-hmm. right like it's it's this like such this thread but mm-hmm. yeah it's it's curious Well
1: that that little honestly thing a lot of time is to build themselves up and make themselves feel better as they judge you Yeah right them.
2: right yeah. There are many examples of when people were so called honest and they were being unkind mm-hmm. and so we all have to guard against this uh one of the examples i gave in my book which is is a problem is what do you do if you one of your friends partners a uh, husband boyfriend whatever is seen with uh, another person you know or doesn't have to be a heterosexual couple it can be you know anybody mm-hmm do you do? Do you tell your friend? Do you not tell your friend? And this is, you know, again, it's honesty or truthfulness, whatever uh, you want to call it. Uh, And you don't know what's going on. You don't know what arrangements the couple has had, what their marriage or relationship is like you don't know even if you see somebody with another person you don't know what that is about uh you don't know if it's a friendship you don't know if it's a relative and so you have to filter that and sometimes sometimes it's best not to say anything Mm-hmm. in that wise speech that I talked about earlier. But so
0: Susan, if you were to like give our listeners like one takeaway from your book, like what, what's the one takeaway you you hope our listeners will get?
2: That's great. Thank you for asking that, Tanya. I would say my big message is that change is possible at every turn. Change, uh, a change would do you good. It's true. We're uh, we're all, I think what I said in my closing was that we're all perfect the way we are, but a little change would be a good thing. And that's kind of paraphrasing Tibetan monk. But yes, change is possible at any age, in any circumstance,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and you don't have to do it all at once. You can take small steps and the first step is awareness. The first step is awareness and the next step is action. And you have to have both things in order to make the change. I love that. I do love
1: that too. That's Mm -hmm. that's perfect. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us today, Susan. This has been wonderful. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you.
2: I thoroughly enjoyed chatting with both of you Mm -hmm. and thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been great fun and I'm sorry it's over.
0: Yeah, right. So just so that everybody knows what we're talking about Mm -hmm. is Susan Hayward's book, A Change Would Do You Good, Mm -hmm. is available on Amazon, A Change Would Do You Good. Perfect. I'm Kat Kahn. And I'm Tanya Rice. And this is Two on a pod signing off.
1: Thank you for listening to Two Pittas on a Pod. We're grateful you joined us. Join us again for
0: more musings of a couple of yogis. We hope you learned, laughed, and enjoyed this podcast, and we hope you will share your comments or questions.
1: Email us at pod at gmail.com
0: and like us on Facebook and Instagram at twopittasonapod.